Hello, I'm Simon Talbot. And I'm Wendy Dean. And this is Moral Matters. So we're going to do something different today. Usually we talk to guests and learn all about the things we never thought we needed to know about healthcare that will help us move toward better. But we just released a book, If I Betray These Words, Moral Injury in Medicine, and Why It's So Hard for Clinicians to Put Patients First. And we know a lot of you have already read this, or plan to read it, or listen to it. But we also thought that it would be great for people who are sort of wondering what's in it, or wondering what we thought about it as we were in the process of writing it what that was like, and what's there. So we're going to take some time today to just talk through what a book is like to write and what's, what's inside, what's between these covers. So Wendy, I'm going to sort of start off by asking you, what's the big picture here? If you're telling somebody the elevator pitch on this book, hey, buy this book, what do you tell them? I worked really hard by the book. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not enough. No. So the book is really an attempt to help people understand who the folks are who go into healthcare and in particular into medicine, because that's what we know best and what it's like for them when they no longer are able to make decisions based on their training, but more based on the needs of the corporations they work for. Mm-hmm. And even above the corporations, the entire health system and how that works. Yeah. So when you and I were first talking about books and ways to sort of spread the word, if you like, you know, we sort of started out talking about almost nonfiction textbook style stuff. And we both sort of screwed up our noses and said, who wants to read that kind of thing? And boy, what a small audience it'll have. And so sort of settled on this idea of storytelling. Can you talk a little bit about how storytelling works in this book and the decision-making behind what stories are in there? It became apparent really quickly that telling a dry book was not going to get the word out to anyone. This needed to be something that people felt, not thought. And so... It was really, how are we going to take this overarching idea that we have that the corporatization of care is, is constraining clinical decision-making and, and in the process, making a lot of clinicians miserable? How do we break that down and tell it in stories about different specialists in different parts of the country? And... And also, what's the history behind it? Not only where are we, but how did we get here? Mm-hmm. And so what I would do is, is take, a, take the nugget of who is this clinician? Like, what's their specialty? What are they doing now? But how did they get here? Who are they? How did they decide to go into medicine? Where did they grow up? What was their family life like? And then at the same time, how did medicine evolve into the place that we're at now for that one particular clinician and that one aspect of 
mm-hmm. the challenge in healthcare that we're talking about for in that chapter. So, Wendy, um, obviously, there are a lot of really personal, very emotional, and heartbreaking stories in this book from a, a huge number of people who are extremely brave in sharing their stories. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges for you in going through that process? Yeah, so I think I think the hardest thing about the book was listening to these stories day in and day out and reliving with these clinicians the trauma that they've experienced and finding ways to help them carry it by carrying some of it myself. I was not interacting with them as a psychiatrist, but in the back of my mind, you know, you, you can't put that down entirely. And, and just trying to make sure that in talking through what they were sharing with me, they didn't come out worse for wear, right? That was really, really important in telling these stories, was not to make people worse for it. But it was also, it was also amazing to hear who these people were and their determination and their grit and the fact that they, to a one, everyone in this book, no matter what they've been through, they still love medicine. Yeah. You know, you said something really interesting there when you said that these people all had a lot of grit. And I guarantee you they all had a lot of resilience, <laughs> as we know. And yet, yeah. that's not enough. Yeah, we, we talk about, I mean, when, when you talk about resilience, we all know there's a paper that came out that said physicians are significantly more resilient than the average employed population. And I think it was it was a relief to so many physicians who had said, I, I got through a lot. I think I'm okay. One person who comes up a number of times in the book who I think is just a really spectacular example of the kind of clinician we all strive to be is Matt Ramsey. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Matt Ramsey's experiences? Yeah, so um, I needed a physician to talk about who could sort of be an archetype. Right. And, and who could help people understand what is it like to go through medical school and, and residency and, and then go out into practice and still face some really serious challenges. And he was a kid who grew up in Schenectady, New York, and didn't come from a lot of money, but came from a very supportive family with a um, single parent family. And he got through <laughs> he got through medical school what he described was the classroom stuff was not so great but when i got to the floors i loved everything and for him it was sort of it was it was he was spoiled for choice he wanted to do everything until he finally found orthopedics and then he said that feels like a well-worn shoe mm-hmm. but then he went out into practice and his mentor, who is also Jerry Williams, is one of the he's he's sort of a foil for for Matt in that he really shaped in a large part who Matt Ramsey is as a physician. Not entirely, but he was somebody who modeled 
what standing up really looked like. So when he was faced with a real challenge in the first university where Matt worked, Jerry said, no, I'm, I'm out. This is a bridge too far and it's crossing, it's crossing my ethical boundaries. And no. But the amazing thing was when he left, he didn't strand Matt. He refused to sign his contract until Matt was happy with his own. Which to me really, really speaks to a mentor who, and a leader who has their, has their folks back. Can you talk a little bit about the common themes that come through in this book? Each person tells a story that is in many ways very different and their experiences, whether it's in primary care, orthopedic surgery, behavioral health, or even hospital administration. But what are some of the things that you took away and said, boy, we're all in this together? Yeah, the, the first thing that stands out is that no matter what people have been through, they still love their jobs. They love the medicine they practice. They may not love everything else around it, but they are committed to this idea of being in relationship with patients for healing. Mm-hmm. And the frustrations are all about not being able to do what I imagined I would be able to do as a physician. Mm-hmm. I think the other really interesting pattern that came out was that the people who had the easier time standing up and speaking out had some things in common. They had very little debt. Um, They either went to a state school or they went through the military. They were also pretty well-versed in how the business of medicine works. And I'm not just saying how billing works and how insurance reimbursement works, but also what is the complexity of big medicine? What are the drivers? And what motivates leadership in those large hospitals? Most of them also were really clear about what the policies and regulation and legislation was around how they practiced, whether in the emergency room or in behavioral health. Knowing the details of what governs you really allows you to pull levers that you might not otherwise be able to pull and to make arguments that are based in those policies and regulations that are more than just my gut tells me to do this. Mm -hmm. There are going to be some people who read this book, and certainly we know there are people who have emailed us and contacted us and listened to our podcast who don't work in the US, uh, who work in UK, who work in Canada, uh, who work in New Zealand, Australia, Japan, South Africa, I don't know where else now, but lots of places. There are a lot of things in this book that relate to the United States, but there's a lot of things that are universal. Can you talk a little bit about things that transcend just the U.S. health system? I think understaffing and under-resourcing, and although that's driven by finances, it's also a matter of not listening to the folks on the front lines who say, this is what I need Mm -hmm. because it's not safe or because Mm -hmm. it's not good care. It's not because I want to provide my patients with everything we could possibly provide them with, but 
what really stuck with me about the folks who called into the On Point radio show the other day was a nurse who said, I can't change sheets more often than every three days. It's not because I want to give my patients the best of the best of the best and not think about money at all, but I want to provide them with the bare essentials of good care. Mm -hmm. Clean sheets. I just want to put clean sheets on the bed. In the last few minutes that we have here, um, I'm hoping you will touch base on some of the lessons that come of this. I guess we could also call them solutions, but what are some of the things that are good takeaway points from this book? One of the things is to speak up, to find your allies, to understand who within your administration is maybe amenable to your message and how to say it in a way that they can hear it. Because when you speak up, that really goes a long way to reducing your risk of moral injury. Because you're saying, this is, this is acting against my values. I want to do something different. Mm-hmm. So that's on an individual level. And sometimes to do that, you have to get involved in the committees that are not really that fun. And it may take some time. But, but they're important if you want to have a voice in how your environment works. Mm-hmm. I think there are also options for for acting at higher levels. So at the state level, you can advocate for prior authorization reform. That's something that happens state by state by state because it's an insurance issue and insurance is governed by the state. So go to your state legislators and tell them, we want prior authorization reform. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that we need to be really aware of is that as much as we're struggling as clinicians, our administrators also have some real challenges and pressures of their own. And I think the more that we can be curious about the quote-unquote other, um, the less they become the other. Then they start to look like us and we can start to find commonalities. Mm-hmm. And when we can start to understand each other and respect each other more deeply, it's easier to co-produce solutions. Yeah. So administrators may not be able to to provide the best solutions alone, neither can clinicians, but when we put them together, all of a sudden there are many more options. Mm-hmm. You know, we can also go even further and start talking about national policies. It would be great if we could somehow make health insurance much more understandable, much like we did the credit card agencies in, you know, a couple of decades ago. Um, so that anyone who looks at their policy has a very clear understanding of what's covered, what's not covered, what their bill will be. So it's more than just price transparency. It's also transparency of how insurance works. Much like the, you know, much like the credit card industry. And then there, there are lots of other solutions, but maybe it's best to read them in the book. Yeah. So the final chapter has <laughs> a really thorough rundown of some of the ideas that Wendy and I have spoken about in a number of these episodes, but but all in one place. And so we, we hope you'll get a chance to, to look at that in some detail and, and digest those. And, and, and honestly, we'd love to hear from you if you've got other ideas or uh, comments about the things that we speak about. 
as always, thank you for joining us for Moral Matters. Our producer is Dave Young at Widget Studios. We are a grassroots organization and your contributions will keep these episodes coming. If any of the work we do is helpful to you, please give back if you can by making a donation at our website, fixmoralentry.org. And if you are there, you can also purchase a copy of the book and that will also help us to keep going. You can also help by spreading the word and encouraging conversations about the podcast or the book. Share this episode or the book with friends and colleagues and use the social media links in the show notes to tag us. We'd love to see your thoughts. Plus, if you subscribe, rate, and review this show, that makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Thanks for listening. Keep reading and stay well.